0: This episode, I'm joined by Heather Zindash. She is the soulful gardener and she's a professional IPM consultant. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Welcome. I'm... Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Heather. So I'm looking at your long list of affiliations after your name. <laughs> and it, it starts <laughs> with a CPH for, I assume, Certified Professional Horticulturalist. Um, in addition That's to right. the i p m consultant you're a professional garden and nature speaker, and you're in the Ladies and Landscape president and founder and a partner with Alan Armitage on his great garden plant app so we're gonna get um to talk to about all of those hats that you wear um and you're a Maryland master Gardener and master naturalist. Woof now when do you sleep S- <laughs> Heather when do you sleep? <laughs>
1: oh my goodness you know I've um I've been working a little at a time Mm -hmm. you know as I pursue my passion so those things come kind of naturally as as I progress
0: yeah it's a cumulative building one block on top of the other I imagine yeah that's cool so tell us about the soulful gardener and for our listeners that's s-o-u-l-f-u-l so soulful gardener
1: hmm So I grew up in Ohio um, on a farm, a small farm, and we were always outside. I was always, you know, spending my time outside until the lights mm-hmm. came on at night. And all of my favorite memories are outside. We grew and ate our own food. We had our own flowers that we picked and put in vases. And then we also had many animals. So you know, back then we didn't have the computers and the screens that we have nowadays. So I'd be outside all day long learning from everything that I saw, you know, we learned from a very young age how to put a seed in the ground and tend to it and water it and have it result in something that I could run outside as a small kid and pick Mm. out of the garden and wash off and eat. And those are things nowadays we don't really do as much. So also uh, we raised animals, not only for enjoyment, but also, you know, for eating. So we had chickens and cows and pigs and um, all kinds of things that we would have. And then, you know, eat when it was the appropriate time. But we also had many, many pets. And I grew up riding uh, on horses, Western mm-hmm. style, and showing them. So I was an avid 4 h as well. Fine. So um, after. Yeah, really fun. Um, But anyway, after I grew up and went to college, um, I actually went in to study graphic design. My mom was really creative, so I was used to making things around the house, and that seemed like a natural path at that time, and that led me to the printing industry, which was great for a period of time until computers became so available and amazing, and now there isn't as much Mm -hmm. print as there was at that time and right about that time my husband and i also started a family so it was a natural for me as there weren't that many printing jobs to stay home and take care of our children um, at that time we had just moved to maryland we didn't have many friends here yet we had just moved and we didn't have family so that was a natural progression to stay home with them and raise them um, but you know mm-hmm children grow like weeds (laughs) and then pretty soon you're you're without that job as well at least in the way that it was when they were small so it was time to find a new career and I had the opportunity to really ask myself what I wanted to do and that took me back to all those terrific memories as a kid and being outside and connected to nature and I realized that um, it was in my soul to be outside and planting and interacting with plants and nature and I just married my grad arts education with that passion and I created the soulful gardener which began simply as a blog website for to entertain and educate other people with a passion for nature and gardening and then that blossomed into a career in integrated pest management and um and a real enjoyment for speaking to audiences.
0: Mm -hmm. So IPM, let's
1: define that for our listeners. Well, integrated pest management is really a process of understanding um, what the pest is and also how it interacts with the plant, Mm -hmm. as well as the environment in general. And that way, when you do have to make choices about, first of all, whether you should or shouldn't interact to control it. If you do need to control it, there are several options. Those options can be cultural, mechanical, biological, or if need be chemical. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to rush to the big box store and buy something to spray on it necessarily. Um, And integrated best management means bringing all that education, the most up-to-date information with, um, the insect's life cycle maybe um, understanding what other insect it might feed for example or the cultural conditions in which that particular disease comes Mm -hmm. about and see if there's another way to solve the problem
0: Hmm. so in ipm management i imagine that your first step is identifying the problem
1: right the first thing we have to do is really um identify the problem so a a lot of times people jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. I actually do a series of presentations for landscape professionals, and that's one of the things you know we all need reminded about because when you're, whether you're a home gardener or a professional, you're outside, um, you need to really evaluate what you're looking at. So that means really taking time to understand, is this an insect? Um, is it actually creating damage to the plant? Um, a lot of diseases, for example, express themselves in ways that they uh, can look like environmental Mm -hmm. problems. So you might need to have somebody help you identify what that pest really is. And as a great example, I would think scale insects. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm, the first yeah. time you,
0: you see a branch with these little white bumps that look like little bits of, I don't know, clay that <laughs> somebody stuck mm-hmm. on there, um, you might think mm-hmm. that that's a weird growth or some type of fungal issue right. and not
1: even know that that's a, a live creature. Exactly, yeah. Um, scale insects are really great at disguising mm-hmm. themselves. And, and, you know, frequently they're called a silent killer Because they look just like the bark, Mm. or they blend in so well. Many of them are small, really small. Not all of them, but many of them are really small. They can go unnoticed for many, many years until your plant starts to suffer, maybe has some dieback on it, and then you take a closer look. And it really takes a trained eye to notice that it might be a scale insect. Now scales are divided into soft scales and hard scales. Mm -hmm. Those hard scales can be really hard to see, and then even if you do see it, there's so many kinds <laughs> of scales, and each of those scales has their own life cycle. So let's just say you set, you came to the conclusion that you had a a scale problem, and you quickly bought something and maybe put it on the on your tree or something like that. Well, you don't know unless you understand the life cycle. If you have applied it at the part of the In it's life cycle where it's most susceptible. Mm -hmm. And and that's what you really need to identify. But that's where somebody like myself, who's trained in integrated pest management, can help you identify those pests and when to intervene and with what. Mm -hmm. So
0: definitely with a lot of,
1: especially insect issues, timing is
0: key that when you Mm -hmm. miss that window and then you spray them, they're beyond anything that you could do at that point.
1: Yeah, depending on what it is, especially well with scales, you know, the hard scales have this shell. So unless you're able to penetrate that shell, which most applications don't, what we really need to do is get it at a life cycle before it creates Mm -hmm. the shell. Yep, that's where we're going to get real control.
0: And let's move to maybe some of the good insects.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. A little more more
0: positive aspect in gardening. So what I find in beginner gardeners especially is Um, trying to identify the different life cycle stages of those good or beneficial insects Mm -hmm. is is really key Mm -hmm. and tough because we all know what a ladybug looks like you know that sweet little Mm -hmm. cartoon with the red with the black dot. but if you you interact with her at her larval stage she's a little scary looking Mm -hmm. and you might squish her
1: at that point not knowing that that is a baby ladybug I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, that is one of the things that I really try to educate my audiences about because you are so right. People don't usually recognize the life stages of even our good pests or excuse me, our good bugs. Um, like you say, the larva of a ladybird beetle actually is kind of long and, um, It looks, some people call it the, looks like a little baby Mm -hmm. alligator, has some spiky areas, it has these legs, it's kind of, I don't know how to explain it, long, like, somewhat like torpedo-like shape. Yeah, kind of like, to me, it looks like a mini, 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 mini dinosaur.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's got like
1: that little bit. Exactly. And then, and also when they hatch, they're in clusters. So a lot of people, when they see more than one insect and will think, oh my gosh, it's bad for my, my plant. Mm -hmm. But see, this is why not disturbing that particular group of insects is so important because what you don't know is that ladybird beetle probably laid her eggs in a place where food was already available. For example, I frequently find ladybird beetle eggs and hatchlings right where aphid populations are. So when they hatch and come out, their their food is right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and Mother Nature is not dumb,
0: I always say. <laughs> she, there, that was not by accident that, that Mama Lady Be- Bird Beetle did that.
1: No, she's very smart. Um, lacewing also do. there. That's a fascinating one. We should talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lacewing, um, in its adult, usually hunts at night and has these beautiful lace-like wings, which is somewhat how it got its name. But when they lay their eggs, each individual egg is on this long hair-like stalk. (laughs) It's almost barely noticeable. Um, But the funny thing is, the reason that each egg is on its stalk is because when they hatch, those little guys um, will eat their brothers and sisters. So they have to be separate so that they can crawl down their stalk and go off and find the proper food source and uh, not be cannibals.
0: (laughs) And then there's the whole group of what I'm going to call good bug, bad bug in between. (laughs) So so for me, you know, there's a love hate thing with praying mantis. I'm going to, I'm going to side on the hate stage because I had some incidents (laughs) and Mm. and then ants. Mm -hmm. So sometimes ants. Okay. Well, and I feel like ants are great help in the garden, but then There's a couple times when they're not so helpful. And then of course, when they come Mm. in your home, you're not a big fan of ants, but yes.
1: Yeah. 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 No one likes a trailing ants at their picnic or in their house Mm -hmm. for sure. But yeah.
0: And my, my issue with the, the praying mantis is one day I went out to a shrub, big flowering shrub and I looked down and I saw a very neatly stacked pile of monarch wings (laughs) and i was like did some little kid (laughs) come and tear off a bunch of monarch wings like you would never imagine that Mm -hmm. another creature living creature could do this but then i found um the very large uh asian praying mantis sitting there sitting Mm -hmm. back having his lunch and then i soon figured out
1: he was just sitting back getting fat off of all those little butterflies i can appreciate i can appreciate your feelings about that Yeah. Praying mantids are generalist (laughs) predators (laughs) where they could be doing us great services in some ways. um, Mm -hmm. They don't really discriminate about those other love and would rather protect. You're right.
0: Oh, definitely not. So in our March issue, um, we had an article on CSI in the garden, Mm -hmm. and that was based on one of your um, talks
1: Yeah, you know, we like to think about integrated pest management as you know problem solving, and in that talk, I kind of made it like um, like a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that to me was really fun. The audiences seemed to really enjoy it. So I presented different situations, different real life problems in the landscape, and explained the processes by which we solve those mysteries. The CSI
0: process, how would you describe your first, second, and third step in that process?
1: When we look at solving plant mysteries using integrated pest management strategies and in this CSI format, the first thing that we do is we observe the overall site. So we have to look at the whole area of the landscape, not just the plant that might look like it has the problem. We have to look at all the contributing mm-hmm. factors around it because sometimes there are clues to the problem that are away from the plant that's showing you a sign or a symptom. So that's the first step. The second step is we need to understand what the history of that plant is in that place. So when you're in your own garden, you might know how long that plant has been there and what has happened to it over the years? You know, has it been an area where somebody ran into it with a piece of machinery or have mm-hmm. you had some excavation done around there? Um, has uh, maybe it's been struck by lightning or has been frozen in recent weather, you know, things like this that happen to plants out there. Um, so that history is really important. Um, Then the other thing that we do is then we look closely at our victim and we look for signs and symptoms of problems (laughs) because we have to look everywhere, not just, you know, at the tip of the leaf or um, on the underside or on the top side, but we also have to look at the branchlets and the trunk. And sometimes we have to get there even into this. (laughs)
0: So I'm imagining you with a, a magnifying glass <laughs> <laughs> out there bent over, this giant victim with a tape or chalk outline
1: around. <laughs> you know what? We have to bring all our tools into the landscape mm-hmm. to solve the problems. And you're right. You know, we have our hats. We have our, um, our loop which is a small magnifying glass. Um, sometimes we even bring binoculars, depending on the size of the tree and the landscape we're looking at. Um, and then we all kinds of, have all kinds of other implements that we use, things that we can poke and prod and scrape and then collect into some kind of specimen jar and then oh. bring back and look um, at under the microscope at home. Yeah, lots of things. And we even have things where we bring up soil Um, and then maybe get a soil sample, Mm -hmm. looking for specific things. Like I have some really good examples where some things have happened to the soil that you wouldn't know when you're first looking at, looking at the plant problem. But because of the plant history, you find out that some event has happened and then we can look in the soil for that problem.
0: Hmm. And what are you finding are some of the more common issues? I know last year we had, that a six week or more extended drought um, Mm -hmm. that was a real real problem for a lot of our especially old growth oak trees Mm -hmm. um is it compaction at, at say new planting
1: sites with people bringing in construction vehicles you know there are some real common problems and it happens in different ways. But one of the things that you Mm -hmm. just mentioned was the weather. So I'd like to start Mm -hmm. with that. Um, That is something that that affects all of us and all of our plant materials. And most of us forget about it. So for example, over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of water in our area and our roots have been submerged in soaking wet soils for long periods of time. And that has a real effect on the roots abilities to absorb oxygen and mine for nutrients when it's so saturated under there. But again, because like you said about the drought that happened most recently in the fall last year, people forget how wet it was, but they remember right now how dry it was. Mm -hmm. But think about, you have to think about the whole lifespan of that tree and that root system. It had been underwater for a long period of time then it quickly dried up. So now we have a cumulative effect on those roots. And most people don't think about that their plants affected until let's say the beginning of this year, maybe when all of a sudden they're seeing dieback and browning and things like this they hadn't seen before.
0: Definitely. And it helps to, personally for me, hand watering helps. (laughs) Even even though it would be so much easier to set up um, uh, automated or irrigation system mm-hmm. I know the weeks I go without having to water and when it goes to five six seven eight weeks of never having to water I mm-hmm. know it's pretty wet out there <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then yeah uh, the spring was great last year as far as
1: not having to water right right and the thing about hand watering is you have to be in your landscape to know that and mm-hmm. many of our hard-working Homeowners aren't always home to make those evaluations. Of course, right now, under our current circumstances, a lot of people are outside and they're spending time in their garden. So they're probably getting a really nice um, understanding of what's happening in their garden right now. So we'll see how things change at the end of this year as we come out of this. Um, I, I hope people will be more connected to their own backyards and their gardens and get more involved now that we've had time to... Go to them for peace during mm-hmm. the stressful time right now, I think so, and I think
0: uh people are definitely being more observant now that they're like hey i didn't even know I had this plant flowering in my yard because oh, I wasn't right. home during the day to see that flower open and close before mm-hmm. between dawn and dusk, so it's yeah. it's going to be a whole new experience hopefully for a lot of people
1: absolutely, I really hope so I mean you know this is such a That is, you know, the basis of the Soulful Gardener is connecting with our landscapes and um, having it bring, having it bring that peace to our lives, having it to be our respite, even if it's just for a little bit of time every day or Mm -hmm. frequently during the week, just spend a little time outside, listen to the birds chirping, watch those insects, the pollinators, see what's going on, watch those blooms like you talked about, and just center yourself. Spend some time and relax.
0: Yeah. And even if that is just one pot on your windowsill, I mean, seriously, Mm -hmm. you don't need to necessarily have a whole huge garden um, to
1: connect to nature. Absolutely. You can have a certified wildlife habitat on a balcony Mm -hmm. if that is what you have. Absolutely. So
0: let's talk about your ladies in the landscape Mm -hmm. that you are the president and founder of.
1: Ladies in the landscape, well, I realized as I entered gardening and landscaping and uh, horticulture, that there were not that many women that I was interacting with, and the ones that I was interacting with were really cool, you know, and I wanted to spend time with them, more more I wanted to have more opportunities to get to know them better and um, you know share resources and experiences and basically lift each other up in our Mm -hmm. industry. So although there are some really great networking groups in general in our industry, I was really longing for that connection with other women who work in this industry. So I created Ladies in the Landscape and it is a professional trade association for women who make a living in landscaping and horticulture. We also invite students and interns. Mm Our mission is to create a community of women working in landscaping and horticulture that provides support, collaboration, continuing education, mentoring, and networking to empower our members' personal and professional lives. And that is so
0: needed, (laughs) I can't tell you. There are so many people, especially young people, who don't even realize that horticulture is a career that they can be looking at you know mm-hmm. something viable and they need those mentors and
1: those examples exactly, and that's what we like we would like to do. We're supporting each other right now, and under the circumstances right now we're doing it remotely, but we're having mm-hmm. great synergy, you know, even in a virtual meeting where we're talking about how we pivot our companies and what services do we provide homeowners now. Uh, when now when they're getting to spend more time out in their yards. And um, we envision that eventually we'll be able to have offer internships and scholarships for budding horticulturalists. Nice. And
0: how would somebody join Ladies in the Landscape?
1: Um, you can go right to my website, The Soulful Gardener, and then there mm-hmm. is a tab for Ladies in the Landscape. And there's a short membership form you can fill out and submit to us, and we would be happy to have any professional women join our group. There are some levels of membership that you can choose from, depending on where you are. Like I said, it includes students and intern memberships. Nice.
0: And um, so you were obviously meeting in person until the COVID crisis. Um, So does that mean you're limited geographically with the
1: membership? You know, I think it actually helps us not be limited geographically. Originally, mm-hmm. we had women all over the DMV and in Pennsylvania who were mm-hmm. eager to join us. And we were trying to, what well, we actually did provide monthly tours and we moved it around Maryland so that we could allow for people you know, in Virginia or Pennsylvania or wherever they're coming from to join us. Um, so try to make it easy at least for some months for some people based mm-hmm. on their geography. Um, and we had a really nice program laid out for the year before the COVID crisis. Um, uh-huh. But I think what this does is, if people can reach us virtually, I think they can join us from wherever they are. And that's what mm-hmm. this group, the ladies in this group really envision this being, an area, um, like a mid-Atlantic organization maybe, to have real mm-hmm. plans for it. so. What we're doing now, though, is we're providing virtual tours Um, and, and for example, Dr. Armitage joined us at our last on our last membership meeting Um, and other people are going to help us as well. So we're going to keep that programming and that connection going even in spite of the current restrictions.
0: Nice. Yeah, there's always a way, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing is here to connect and support one another and we are not really limited to do that. Great. So
0: uh, you mentioned uh, the great Alan Armitage, mm. a professor of horticulture and industry visionary. Um, most people know him from his work at the University of Georgia in Athens, uh, Georgia, and Armitage's um, great perennials and annuals book,
1: mm-hmm. and app.
0: So he has translated a lot of what he, his research and his plant descriptions into a phone app now. Um, and you are now partnering with him?
1: Yeah, I was so honored. Dr. Allen asked me to partner with him on his app to add a section on integrated pest management for the home gardener. Hmm. So I, now we have some pages there that describe our philosophy for integrated pest management. And there's a page for each of our, our four approaches, cultural, mechanical, biological, and chemical. And it's really helps the home gardener understand how to set themselves up for success right um, at, before they plant actually, before they make oh. their plant choices. We, this information can help them be sure they're choosing the right plant for the right place and setting themselves up for a healthy plant that's not going through unnecessary stress.
0: Yeah. I think the great part about his app is for that moment when you're at the garden center, say, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at the perennial section, you're, you're looking for something for your shade garden, say you could pull out that app, Mm -hmm. enter the, the Latin name, maybe from the tag you're looking at and Mm -hmm. see if that's the appropriate plant for that spot. It's so important.
1: I, I like to tell the story of how you know, before I have taken as many classes as I have now about horticulture, and I was a home gardener like many, I would go to the garden store all ready to pick plants and to plant them, and I would pick everything I liked, you know, (laughs) and usually it was my favorite color, and the plant was probably on sale, so I was pretty sure I needed six of them, and I'd load up my cart, and I would happily come home with all of my plants and bring them into the garden and I'd put them everywhere where I wanted to see them with no concern whatsoever about whether or not that plant actually should live in the place that I've now put it. You know, and they forget that, you know, plants that require sun do need to be placed where they are getting the amount of sun that they need or those that need proper, you know, more water need to be in a place where either you're watering it frequently or it naturally gets that water.
0: Well. Well, a lot of us in the beginning, we made our shopping from our heart mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. not our brain. And yes. sometimes there were some happy accidents where you discovered a plant actually did better, um, maybe in the spot that you gave it than what it was, you were told to.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, experience is the teacher. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you can really, you know, I talk about this in the information on the app. You know, it's great to look at where you want to plant something. You know, if you're, you're brightening up an mm-hmm. area or you're creating a new garden pen, or you're adding something special, really ask yourself before you go to the store, how much sun does it really get and how much water does it naturally get um, mm-hmm. and how big will it be when it's mature? It doesn't have enough space yes. in that place for it to grow the way that it wants to grow because it, it's far better to purchase a plant for the environment you have than to try to create a, an environment around the plant you've just purchased.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Because <laughs> so it's like trying to buy uh, a designer pair of shoes that are a size seven and you're an eight. Yes. <laughs> right? It's, it's just. Al- it's always going to be painful. Absolutely.
1: And as much as oh, you, my- you know, every time you look at it, you want it to fit, you want it to be mm-hmm. happy, but it just isn't going to happen.
0: No, it's just not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your garden Mm. um, and some of your favorite plants. Uh, Maybe what's looking great this spring or maybe some plants that you think our listeners should really be incorporating into their gardens.
1: Mm. Well, when we moved here to our home, we have a quarter acre lot in um, a suburb of Washington, D.C., And that's not much land compared to where I grew up as a kid. So, Hmm. and our children were small at the time that we moved. So we really wanted our children to be connected to nature the way that we were as much as we could. Um, So the first thing we did when we moved in was we wanted to plant things that would attract hummingbirds and butterflies. Hmm. We have two little girls and we thought they would really enjoy interacting and seeing these things in our yard. So every Mother's Day, I would buy plants. And the only thing I would ask from my family is to everybody go outside and plant with me for that day. And, and it's very—it's we have a lot <laughs> of fun memories about that. And of course, as the kids got older, they could contribute in bigger and different ways. But as the years went by, I suddenly looked up and thought, you know, we have everything in our small yard to be a certified wildlife habitat. Hmm. So the that's the next step we took was to certify our property as a certified wildlife habitat. And we had, um, food, water, shelter, and places to bear young for birds and other animals in our yard. And that really started us off. So, We just have a little of everything almost around here, but we wanted to be sure we're thinking of our layers. We have tall trees, understory trees, shrubs, perennials, and ground cover, because that's really important when we're thinking about providing an environment for insects and animals. Mm -hmm. And we have all kinds of stories about the visitors to our yard. <laughs> and it's been a great educational opportunity and an entertainment <laughs> opportunity for a whole family.
0: Nice. And are you finding that this spring it's even bigger as far as the selection and the
1: number of wildlife coming to your garden? You know, that's a great question. Um, I know for sure that I'm home more to see it, uh-huh. um, but I have a number of clips of migratory birds that have passed through our yard. And today I saw, um, I saw a gray, uh, oh goodness, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, uh, a warbler, special, uh, oh yeah, yellow rumped warbler, that's what it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, it yeah. came through today, so that was pretty cool. Um, we definitely have a lot of bird activity. And we have a pond, we put in our own pond, and mm-hmm. we put a shallow place for birds to bathe so we have a lot of activity back
0: there oh yeah that's what i always say about water gardening is you you do it for you know the plants that you want to have in the water garden and because you want that sound of water in the garden mm-hmm. And then a side wonderful bonus is all the wildlife Mm -hmm. that that pond attracts. Just even a a tiny, small water feature Mm -hmm. is a magnet for every bird Mm -hmm. and um, little creature to come to your garden.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I didn't, of all the things I did anticipate, I didn't anticipate the dragonflies. That would come into Mm -hmm. our yard Uh, oh yeah that was a a great surprise Um, of course we had fish and of course the frogs came in naturally Um, we even had a salamander come by Mm. then we had all those beautiful birds like you're talking about and uh, gosh the hummingbirds sure do love it too especially those little shallow areas (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it's always fun to see how uh the
0: different wildlife interact with the water in the pond i have mm-hmm. a small little um waterfall in mine and of all the birds the robins love sitting at the top mm-hmm. of the waterfall and i just i just call it that's their little jacuzzi <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> and, yes and i'm
0: like are, are you a waterfowl now yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They just like to have their tail feathers rumpled in the waterfall. Absolutely. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to watch is all those birds in their bathing. Because, you know, we talk about, we can attract different birds to our yard through using um, seeds and nuts and suet and this type of thing. But every bird needs water. So you're more likely mm-hmm. to get a wider variety of birds when you add water to your garden than if you just provide seed or food. And
0: definitely. And uh, you had mentioned certifying your habitat. So I wanted to let our listeners know that the National Wildlife Federation, Mm -hmm. nwf.org, is a great place to go and to fill out that form. And it's pretty easy and quick. It takes about five or ten minutes. And... I'm betting that most of our listeners have at least 75% of what's needed to mm-hmm. be a wildlife garden and to fill out that form
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and get your, your own garden certified.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's great fun. Um, and, and, and another piece to that is I also am on the board of the Maryland Bluebird Society and we monitor a bluebird trail locally and we also have birdhouses on our property and we just love monitoring those nesting boxes and um, identifying the birds that make their home there. We identify by the nest and by the eggs. And then we track how well they're doing there and when they fledge. It's really fun. Mm, nice.
0: So, um, and I assume you're going to report on that on the, in the soulful gardener website. Yes,
1: I try to keep all my listeners up to date with all the cool things that we're up to outside. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. So um, any last thoughts for our listeners on IPM or maybe what a beginner gardener um, should take into consideration when they find mm-hmm. say a black spot on a rose mm-hmm. or some type of powdery mildew on their zinnias?
1: Um, I think that, well, what's interesting is that there are some environmental conditions that um, create problems like that in our landscape, which is when we have those years where we have a lot of moisture over long periods of time that leave mm-hmm. wet leaves uh, or, or f- what we call free moisture on our leaves for long periods of time, that creates environmental conditions that are just right for certain leaf spots and and things like that. And with powdery mildew, it has to do with the temperature and the day and night temperature as well. These are Mm -hmm. things we can't really control. But the best thing that we can do is be sure that when we're able, choose resistant plant materials when you're at the garden center. Often the tag will Mm -hmm. say if they have a resistance to something like powdery mildew um, or um, downy mildew, different things like this check Mm -hmm. check out that plant tag and then also try not to um overcrowd your plants you know try to be sure there's some air getting through there naturally Uh, that can really help
0: yeah so true but so tempting i know i know i know
1: you just want to cram cram as much in there as you
0: possibly can Mm -hmm. but
1: yeah air circulation super important Mm mm-hmm that can really help, and then, if you are trimming those plants, you know try to take those and I might throw those away and not compost them just so we can mm-hmm. break that disease cycle. Um, but if you find that you have to you have to go purchase something to apply to your plant, be sure to read the labels mm-hmm. and make and try to pick something that um, is the least like the least toxic. Pick something that's mm-hmm. um, for the problem that you actually have versus a broad spectrum when you can. And this is especially important when it comes to managing insects. If you, first of all, I properly identified the insect pest and it's an, of a population where you feel you need to control it. When you make a chemical choice, be sure to pick something that is uh, reduced risk and target spe- specific. So that Mm -hmm. means avoiding broad spectrum insecticides whenever you can. So there are some ways, if you're not sure what insect you're looking at and whether or not it's good or bad, of course you can call me, but also the um, University of Maryland um, Home and Garden Information Center has a website where you can ask an expert and you can take a picture and provide information to them and send it to them via their website page and they will give you um, their best answer for what it is that they're seeing and the information that you're describing about the problem.
0: Yeah, the UMD extension is such a wonderful resource that we're so lucky Mm -hmm. to have, and you do not have to be a Maryland state resident. Yeah. (laughs) So anybody out there listening, um, can send in an email and ask their questions. And I will reiterate that, you know, a picture is worth a thousand mm-hmm. words. So take great photos, um, you know, in this age where everybody has their phone in and a uh, camera in their pocket. That's a lot easier to do these days. Yeah.
1: And I'll tell you, it's really important that the picture is clear, you know, and that you mm-hmm. provide as much information as you can, which might include the history of that plant. The more information you give, the easier it is for us to solve these plant problems. And I might—this is something that we talk to our professional landscapers about as well. Take a picture from afar of the whole plant, and then take pictures closer to where you're seeing the damage. And mm-hmm. uh, that way, it will help tell the whole story.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great piece of advice to get that whole picture shot. Mm-hmm.
1: And not just that super
0: close-up of just that one little Mm -hmm. twig with the issue. Exactly.
1: You know, part of the decision-making process is understanding how much of the plant is affected. And then also, Mm -hmm. there's another. Now I'm really revealing all my secrets here. What's the (laughs) pattern of the damage that we're looking at? That really helps lead us to the right answer as well. So those pictures of the whole plant or the surrounding area not just the one leaf with the brown spot really goes a long way.
0: Interesting. Well, this has been so empowering, mm. Heather. Um, I feel like I'm going to get out there with my magnifying glass yeah. <laughs> and, and phone in, in the garden and be snapping away and sharing some spots. Because I know that there are a couple of plant issues I need to diagnose mm-hmm. um, and get out there and, and address before they blew bloom- you know balloon up into larger that's issues that's right the,
1: you know the, the earlier we first of all identify what we're seeing and then making the decision about whether or not the population will eventually cause problems the better off we mm-hmm. are at effectively managing it
0: thank you heather so much for sharing your your knowledge base letting us know about your work with the, dr alan armitage and your land, ladies and landscape group is there any last um piece of advice you have for our my listeners? my
1: advice is go outside go outside take five slow deep breaths listen to the birds or whatever is around you and um find your center in nature it will go a long long way
0: I'm going to take that deep breath right now, Heather.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Plant Profile Kale Kale is king, according to nutritionists and trendy chefs alike. This frilly cabbage cousin is packed full of nutrients and antioxidants kale is a versatile green and can be used as a spinach substitute in virtually any recipe. In the February 2016 issue of Washington Gardener magazine, our edible harvest columnist, Elizabeth Olson, provides the following advice for growing kale. Growing requirements for kale are very similar to those of cabbage. Gardeners who want to grow kale in spring should either purchase transplants in early to mid-spring or start seeds indoors about four to six weeks before the last expected frost date. Seeds for autumn harvested kale should be started indoors in midsummer, and the plants should be installed in the garden by mid-September. You can also direct sow from seed in late August. Kale grows best in full sun. The soil should drain well and be well worked and amended with compost. Fertilize the plants with an organic vegetable fertilizer. A consistent moisture level in the soil is necessary for the highest quality leaves. Keep the kitchen garden well mulched and free of weeds. The plants should be covered with a floating row cover to protect them from flying insects. It is challenging to extract pests after they've gotten into the leaves. Kale is also quite ornamental. Try interplanting edible purple kale in your containers and beds with cool season annuals like pansies and snapdragons. Harvest the largest kale leaves to eat whenever you like. You can also buy kale specifically bred for its looks rather than for its taste to grow for show in your winter garden and containers. Try growing kale in your garden today. You can grow that. What's blooming in my garden this week? First, I want to send out a huge thanks to a new listener supporter, Linda C. Howes. Thank you for your support, Linda. Over at the community garden plot, I've been harvesting and weeding. Lots of radishes are making it to my table, handfuls of asparagus, kale, and spinach. I'm still waiting on several of my greens to be tall enough to make a decent salad, but I expect that to happen in the next week or so. I also had to do a liberal sprinkling of sluggo iron phosphate around my strawberry patch and the radishes that were getting slightly chewed on. Back home in my own garden, blooming are three different types of Lily of the Valley pink, white, and a variegated foliage one. Iris Crestata is putting on quite a show with its tiny little about I'd say three to four inch high purple blooms. The azaleas are all early and looking magnificent. Um, Lots of other small things are continuing on, including the Solomon seals, the wild violets. But one thing I'm finding particularly enchanting this year that usually goes without notice is that my hookera. So the coral bells are all sending up, I would say, more than average amount of blooms this year. Several flower spikes on each set of hookah around my garden. Let me know what's blooming in your garden. You can comment on my Instagram feed at WDC Gardener. Same at Twitter at WDC Gardener or on Facebook under Washington Gardener Magazine. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy-Gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener magazine. I hardly know where to begin. From the time I started this podcast eight episodes ago to finishing today's, There's been a tremendous sea change in our lives. I don't need to remind anyone of the current virus crisis and what it has done to our collective, normal lives. Most of my past few weeks have been spent crossing off garden talks and festivals on my calendar and rescheduling a few of those to next fall or next spring. There have been some silver linings to this time being freed up. I was able to work on this podcast, for one. And, um... Another back burner project that has moved up to the front is hosting webinars. So with everyone stuck indoors, there's a chance for me to finally record and launch a series of online classes I had sketched out a while ago. Stay tuned for when and where you can access those. This was supposed to be um, a time for rebirth and regeneration. It's springtime after all. Um, I think we can still do that. Gardening is not canceled. The one thing we can do while we have the energy and health to do so is grow things. We can get out into our garden beds and plots. We can plant and affirm that life goes on. Weeding and mulching and the fresh outdoor air is actually a pleasure now more than a chore. Indoors, I've started seeds under grow lights for the first time in years and I'm dividing and propagating my houseplants to share. Don't forget to support your local independent garden centers. They are still open for business in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. Many are taking precautions for social distancing, of course, and are letting shoppers pre-order and pay by phone or online. Let's take care of each other during these uncertain times and get out there and grow something.